welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello friends and welcome back to episode 32 of the Simply Fit podcast and today we are back with another solo episode and I want to start with a story that I have from this past week when I was having a conversation with one of the guys from the EH challenge which we recently ran and it was a huge success so many of the people who took part in that challenge are in such a better place in which they started four weeks ago which is just amazing to say I'm so glad we had the opportunity to run that kickstarter and we got speaking about the podcast she mentioned that she was a fan which really really does warm my heart and she mentioned that it must be quite hard for me to you know produce that much content especially given I'm posting on Instagram I was posting on the challenge daily I post on Facebook etc and my answer was actually quite the opposite as you guys are my inspiration for almost all the content I produce like the reason I start the questions with Elliot, how do I, Elliot, how can I, is because over the past decade or so that I've been in the industry, I've been asked those questions over and over and over, right? It's not just once, it's like sometimes hundreds of times if we look at some of the questions that come up, like why does my weight fluctuate? How do I overcome like cravings and hunger and all those type of things that I get asked on quite a regular basis. And yeah, I get them nearly all the time. And this was the inspiration behind this podcast and also why I started YouTube years ago as well. And what I I love about the coaching side of things is that I can have a very direct impact on one individual's life who I'm working with at that time. It's quite a deep and can be, you know, quite an impactful change on their life, which is, you know, hugely rewarding. So that's my passion and my mission where I do like the really depthy work. Whereas the podcast, on the other hand, and social media in general, like this is where I work at scale. This is where it all comes down to width. The podcast is about reaching as many of you awesome people as possible and cutting through the noise of all the different things and ways you should be doing things, the ideologies, the bias opinions that all come in this health and fitness world which is it can be extremely complicated at times and just coming at it from like a neutral perspective and as you guys know making it simple and actionable which i probably should get that printed on a t-shirt by now so i digress but long story short there's so much information out there so many topics and i just want to bring as many to you as possible and i have an abundance so i have many many to keep on coming and one of the questions that that lady asked me particularly we're going to get into as the first question and I'd say that this one falls under the training category and it's this Elliot can you turn fat into muscle and it's actually been a while since I've been asked this question but I imagine it's an assumption that most people have and they just don't think to ask it actually so it's actually really great to go through this and the specific reason she asked is that she felt that she was you know getting back into her training but felt like her legs were bigger than they were before and this kind of has people thinking that oh you know if my legs are bigger is it just my fat turning into muscle because the only thing that I've done differently is I've started training so I'll definitely touch on this towards the end as I think it's really really useful to go through and it's also another frequent thing which I encounter but we'll get started with the original question I'm going to give you a pretty straight answer and then I'm gonna go in a bit of a roundabout way but I don't know what's gotten into me with giving you all these straight answers recently but you cannot turn fat into muscle full stop you cannot turn fat 
into muscle. So you can remove that from your mind and your brain moving forward. And let me explain why and give you the mechanics of it so that it begins to really make sense and solidifies in your head. So fat and muscle are completely separate. We, If we look at what fat actually is, we have a few different varieties of it, right? We have white fat, which is the fat that probably comes to mind when we think of the fat we have on our bodies, right? A little bit of this is relatively healthy, but an excess of this can become a problem. We all know that. And then we have brown fat or BAT if you prefer, which is brown adipose tissue. This is usually associated as the good fat to have actually. It's the type you, you know, you'll find babies covered in and we do retain some as adults and it's typically via the form of burning food for calories to create body heat, right? And that's what we also know as thermogenesis, which we've touched on on the show before. And if you want a fun fact, around 5% of a newborn's body weight can be attributed to uh, brown fat. So you can uh, drop that to all the new mothers out there. So, and then we also have beige fat too. And this is where your white fat cells adopt similar characteristics to brown fat. Uh, When they're exposed to certain temperatures, when we eat certain foods, take certain supplements like quercetin, and due to the release of certain hormones and enzymes, etc. And if I'm honest, I don't know a huge amount about beige fat, but I don't feel like there's much more that you need to know other than that, to be completely honest. And these fall into three categories, essential fat, and that kind of does what it says on the tin, which is essential to human life, the stuff found in your brain, stuff protecting your organs, your nerves, etc. Then we have subcutaneous fat, which is essentially the fat that, you know, if you grabbed your stomach right now, you'd probably be pinching some subcutaneous fat. And in the past, as a one-to-one personal trainer, and you might have had this experience before, we would do body fat measurements using skinfold calipers, uh, where you'd kind of take this metal device and you would pinch the subcutaneous fat off certain people's areas. There's, there's about eight to 16 sites that we used to do um, to calculate someone's body fat using a certain formula. You'd guess, basically get your thumb, your forefinger, you'd pull away the fat, put the calipers right in the minute, middle, sorry, get the measurement in millimeters. And once we take all the sites, you know, you would get a rough estimate of what their body fat percentage was. So that's kind of how you would measure that. And yeah, I think it has, so there's some uh, some certain tests that will have lots of sites, but generally it's between eight and 16 or something along those lines. And you can get a good rough estimate. It can be pretty accurate if you're using the same practitioner each time. And, you know, it also probably be more accurate than the ones where you stand on the scales and get your measurements via that. But I digress. On to the next, which is visceral fat, which probably like most people will refer to as belly fat. And this is something that we really don't want a lot of. And excess amounts of this can lead to the problems that we all know about, which are heart disease, strokes, diabetes, etc. And I'm starting to think that this whole question should have been a section on fat as opposed to can you turn muscle into fat? But now that you know what fat is, now like where does it actually go, right? Because if we we burn it, right? We quote unquote, we burn fat, and that's what people. People speak about all the time. I want to do these fat burning workouts. I want fat burning supplements, etc. Right. And if you don't know where fat already goes when we actually burn it, this is probably going to blow your mind. So wait, wait for this. Most of your body fat, when you've lost it, you actually breathe it out. It comes through your breath. It comes through CO2. So yes, you breathe out fat. You heard that right, (laughs) right? It's crazy. And around 80 to 90% of it becomes CO2. And the remainder is water that comes out in the form of your urine and your sweat. So that's pretty crazy, right? Like I I didn't actually know that until uh, it was pretty, it was quite a while ago, but it was relatively recent at the same uh, time. And it was actually quite surprising to hear that. I was like, CO2, we breathe out our fat? Pretty mind blowing, right? So the fat gets converted into CO2 and water not muscle. So that was a fairly long explanation of what 
you know, what fat is, what with the type of different fats we have, and then what actually happens to it. So we burn fat and we build muscle. Muscle is created through the breakdown of existing muscle fibers. For example, when you go weight training, you go through the recovery process of, you know, when you activate certain satellite cells, you stimulate the anabolic hormones, you promote muscle protein synthesis. And when the muscle protein synthesis is higher than muscle breakdown, then we kind of create uh, some new muscle. But long story short, you break it down in the gym, you recover sufficiently, and then muscle is built. There is no process of taking any existing fat and then turning it into muscle because as we know, that existing fat comes out via the form of your CO2 and water. So hopefully you can see now how these are two separate entities and one can't be converted into the other. Like fat can't be converted to muscle, muscle can't be converted to fat. So I appreciate that was quite a long answer. And I do want to come back to why sometimes it might seem as if when you're training, like for instance, this lady in particular, where you know you seem like your certain areas of your body are getting bigger once you start training, and it can get a bit confusing because that's where the whole notion of this question come from. And this could be a whole different question, but probably the most common reason is that when you train your lower body, let's take the lower body as an example, you're going to be sending a lot of blood and glycogen to the working muscles. And this is gonna create the quote unquote, what you might have called a muscle pump. And you know, it's gonna be some cell swelling there as well, which is gonna give the appearance of your legs looking bigger. If there is more blood and uh, glycogen and you know, sort of swelling in that area, naturally it is gonna look better, uh, bigger, I should say. And if you're a man in the gym on a Friday night doing bicep curls, this is fantastic, right? And if you're someone who wants to fit in their jeans, on the other hand, you can see why this can become, quite quickly become a challenge. So the response from the body should eventually alleviate, right? That pump will come down, but the rate at which it does, does vary. And like how long you'll have like maybe water retention in your legs, et cetera, et cetera. It's really hard to say how long that will stay for. And to add to this, if your muscles do end up being a bit pronounced because you're actually working them, you know, which does tend to happen, and you still have fat on your legs, you have body fat that has not gone anywhere yet, this will give the appearance that they feel and potentially appear bigger as well. And if we go into this, for 9 out of 10 people, or even 9.5 out of 10, if we count half a person, once they reduce their overall body fat and it starts to come off their legs just like it comes off everywhere else, quite often it's not the muscle that's the problem. It was the body fat. It's literally always the body fat. And one important point to mention here, final point to mention, is that your legs might be the last place that you shift fat from as well. So it might seem like they're not reducing in size because of like, let's say your muscle is actually increasing, but your body fat isn't going anywhere because of it's just your stubborn area. It will come with time, but you've got to kind of just grind through that stage, get through it and just understand that it's not the muscles that are giving you the appearance of having bigger legs. Yes, muscle will contribute towards it. Like I said, 9.5 times out of 10, it's just that you need to remove some excess body fat. And then you actually find that beneath that is some beautiful toned legs and you know the shapely legs that you're actually after in the first place. And that goes for most other areas of your body as well. So that was quite fun. <laughs> first question to answer. I went down a bit of a rabbit hole there, but hopefully now that you know what different types of fat we have, how fat is actually burned, how muscle is built, and why that they are two separate entities and cannot be converted into one another. So you can tell all your friends about that the next time they tell you that you, you know, the next time someone tells you, oh, you know, I just need to put some fat on so I can convert it to muscle. Like I, I used to hear that all the time. Right, I digress. Let's go on to the next, which is Elliot. 
Why is it a problem if I overeat on the weekends if my weekdays are on point? Here we go. <laughs> I actually wrote an article and did a presentation on this back in, I think it was like 2017. And the headline for this article was how to get 35% better results, right? It's quite a catchy headline. If you want 35% better results, that's actually a significant amount. So look at it this way. 100% of the week is all seven days. And then let's say 4.5, which is Monday up until Friday afternoon, is roughly in the region of about 64 point something percent of the week, right? Friday afternoon onwards, where you, you know, you're set to go off track and overeat is around 35%. Now, like, let's present you... Well, I presented you with the above of getting 35% better results. Now let's turn this around and ask you if you were giving 65% effort in anything that you were doing in your life, what type of ex results would you expect? And let's, let's do this in another way. If you were rated a 6.5 out of 10 on your efforts, what would you think about that? Some might say average. I'd probably say below average, to be completely honest. So when we look at this, do you think you're going to get the results you want if your nutrition is rated average or below average? Probably not, right? And funnily enough, I see this uh, popping up quite frequently now, that headline, but I'm going to attribute it to myself when I did it years and years ago. And if I remember the second part of this article, it was about the severity of these weekends as well. And I think we all know how easy it is to overconsume calories. I don't need to go into that in detail. But let's take the example of this weekend overeater. Friday night, it's time for a takeaway, a couple of drinks. Easily, this is within the region of like 1,000 to maybe even 3,000 calories, depending on the size of the meal, the, the person as well. It's very, very easy to end up eating that much or consuming that much in just one evening. And then this carries on into brunch over the weekend on Saturday. It's like a 500 to 1,000 calories. And then potentially another takeaway happens or a heavy carb-based meal, maybe some drinks, maybe another dessert. And we've got another uh, three, 4,000 circa calorie day. And then Sunday comes around. It's time for that roast dinner maybe. Maybe it's a dessert. Or maybe all of a sudden, you know, you just fancy something before the week kicks in and you've gone through about six to 10,000 calories. And in reality, you probably don't actually feel like you've eaten that much. You might feel a little bit full, but you'd be surprised at how easy it is to consume six to 10,000 calories without actually feeling like you've eaten a significant amount. And let's say your daily average calories for easy maths was, is 1,800. And if we times this across four and a half days, that's around 8,000 calories roughly. And with what we've just done is we've consumed what we would have done in four and a half days over two days and an evening right? And it does not sound logical when it comes to getting the results we want. I don't even need to <laughs> argue with anyone with that. It just doesn't seem to make sense when we look at it from that perspective. And I know what someone's going to say next. What if I reduce my calories during the week? And although this can be done, I don't ever think it should be done at such an extreme that there is such a disparity between your weekdays and your weekends. Getting consistent results is going to be incredibly challenging if you choose to do this approach. You'll probably find that you're making nice steady drops on the scales up until Friday and then you weigh yourself on Monday and you're usually back at where you were last Monday. And then you go again, you start dropping again until Friday, you overeat on the weekends and ta-da, you are back again at the same weight on Monday and it's a frustrating and a repetitive cycle. So my advice here is really dependent on your goal more so than anything. If you are in a fat loss phase, I'd encourage you just to focus on your goals. You're only going to elongate the process 
process if you continue to kind of go through this cycle. And the sooner you can be done and dusted with your fat loss phase, the better. You know, the sooner your calories can go back up and the sooner you can actually start to enjoy these things a little bit more. So if you can eradicate this entirely, amazing. And if you can't eradicate entirely, try and reduce the amount of weekends you do this per month. And then the final thing I go for is reducing the severity, right? It's a drink or dessert. It's a starter or a side. It's half of each pizza versus an entire pizza. And I'll go through navigating socials on another episode because I don't actually think I've done that one before, but I think that'd be a very valuable uh, episode to go through. We did that with a webinar with the team recently, but definitely something I want to discuss in more detail on the podcast. So long story short, if you've got a time-sensitive goal on the horizon, then definitely look to opt for another buff. If you don't, but you just want a little bit more consistency within your body composition, your metrics, for instance, I think reducing the disparity is probably your best bet. If we take an example here and say your calories are 2000 on a day-to-day basis, across the course of a seven-day week, that's 14,000 calories. And let's say on Monday to Thursday, instead of having those 2,000 calories, you decide instead to have 1,700. Now you've got an extra 1,200 calories to spread amongst Friday to Saturday. So your weekend calories or Friday to Sunday calories are now 2,400. And you might even choose to go relatively low cow and high protein during the day on Friday, leave yourself a thousand spare or so in the evening, and then you can factor in that takeaway that you wanted. So there's definitely ways in which we can do this. It all comes down to being strategic. However, if you've got the goal to get leaner, improve your body comp, reduce your body fat, get beat your wedding ready, whatever it might be, do you really want to be scoring a 6.5 out of 10 on your nutrition? So I'll leave you with that and you can make your own decision on that front as we transition into the last question today, which falls within the lifestyle section. And I like this one. I really do. So Elliot, how do I get my overweight partner to get in shape? let's get into this. So I would start by saying you probably don't want to walk up to them and say, hey, maybe you should stop eating that donut. Or hey, now that the gyms are open, have you thought about getting a membership? That's probably not the right way to go about it. But I am kidding because this actually usually comes from a loving place. When we start a health and fitness journey, we see all the benefits that we're getting and wants everyone else to feel the way that we do. And this rings true, especially for our partners and our family, etc. right? We love them and we want them to feel all the good that we do from adopting this new way of life. And let's be real here too. Like there's an aesthetic aspect to this as well. There's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to see your partner a little leaner, a little tighter if they are holding some excess body weight. And I know that we are in an age of body positivity and it may seem like we should accept people for who we are. And I don't disagree with this. We should accept people for who they are, but I don't believe this interferes with the notion of them trying to improve their body composition a little bit a little bit and get a little bit healthier. So before we get into a bit of a debate on that one, we'll swiftly move on, but I don't think there's anything wrong with this whatsoever. And the next aspect to this, right, we spoke about body fat earlier and how an excess of fat can be problematic and potentially cause diseases later along down the lines. And if we want our partners to be with us for as long as they can be and want to be, you know, there for the children that we're going to have in the future, etc., then it serves us both 
for you know for all of us in that relationship and that family to stay as healthy and relatively lean as possible so i get it i really really do and i don't think anyone should feel bad about this whatsoever if you are thinking this about your partner right now so the next big question is how do we go about it and once again poking them in the stomach or only serving them half the portion of food they would usually have is not the best way to go about it i'm just going to try and rule these out entirely but for me i think the first part is really just opening up the conversation. And just like any scenario in your relationship, communication will be key without turning this into a relationship podcast. Maybe you now talk about how you want to be healthier as a family. Maybe you simply ask your partner whether they're considering adopting a similar approach or they like the idea of going to the gym or eating a little healthier or dropping a couple of pounds, right? It might already be on their agenda and this might take it from thought into reality. And as long as you approach this from a non-judgmental way and a very, very neutral way, you might spark a conversation that creates some action. You know, you'd want to be talking about this on like a relaxed evening maybe or just a Sunday afternoon when you're having a coffee or something maybe after an argument or maybe if someone's got a lot on at this moment in time you might want to park that conversation for now but I don't think there's anything wrong with opening up that conversation from a very neutral perspective and the next aspect or even an alternative aspect is integration via your journey. You start inviting them with you when you go out for your steps. You plan activities for the both of you, like swimming, hiking, sports, that almost require you to be active as a byproduct of participation. You tell them that you're going to cook and serve them something similar to what you're having. You take control of the household shopping and you reduce the amount of unhealthy food that's bought on a week-to-week basis. And maybe you even just head to bed early and together you just have some earlier nights. And the amount of times that I've heard a client say to me, my husband, my wife, my children, etc. have lost weight or improved their health because they started eating what I'm eating or they joined in on my workouts. Like it's unbelievable. It happens all the time and it's amazing as well and like this will actually be a big part of my closing point but your journey will most likely rub off on them too most of us we have very busy lives and we will follow the path of least resistance like right now with the amount of work i do on from monday to friday i would happily eat whatever was served in front of me for the most part like obviously i'd be inclined to have some protein and veg because i have awareness of this lifestyle but most people won't refuse a meal if it's made for them right so if you've got a partner you want them to start eating healthier maybe you just can take control in the kitchen i'm sure that will work right and after the past year that we've had with all the lockdowns it's not going to be unusual for you to say hey actually before we go to the pub can we just take a long walk first and like no one's going to be surprised that you're saying that anymore that's pretty damn normal so if you take the lead and you lead in a way that's synonymous with your healthy lifestyle your partner may just get into shape just as a byproduct of being a part of your journey and being a part of each other's lives and the third and final point here comes in the form of a quote that always comes to mind when anyone asks me this you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink. And this can be really frustrating for someone who is enjoying all the benefits of a healthy lifestyle. And as I mentioned earlier, we want our loved ones to feel the same thing. This comes from a very genuine and good place. However, forcing it on someone is usually going to make them resist it more. In my experience, if someone has signed up to work with me after coming to the conclusion by themselves versus coming to the conclusion because of their partner kind of forced them into it, their family told them that they were overweight or their doctor said that they need to do something about it, they're usually far more likely to cons- to succeed 
when they've made that choice themselves versus feeling like they have to do it. And sometimes the best thing you can do is just be patient and continue to lead the way and be the example. And I think I mentioned this in one of the very early episodes. And what you'll find is that your partner will notice the difference in you, you know, not just from an aesthetic perspective either, like your mood will be better, your energy is going to be better, you will have more vibrancy. And in a world where we are so stressed and most of us don't have energy and vibrancy in abundance, it's likely your partner will be like, "Mm, I want a piece of that too. And they start asking questions. They may show a little bit more curiosity and this is your chance to bring them in like once again you're not forcing them you're just showing them you know what you're doing and how it's working for you so when they're ready be ready to let them in don't turn around and say well you weren't interested when i got started or you know i've been doing this for nine months and all of a sudden you're only just paying attention now right (laughs) even this this is true this doesn't help right and if we think of what the actual bigger mission is it's about getting people or your father, your partner, your family, your loved ones into a better place with their health and well-being. So it doesn't matter if they, they've only just started showing attention now. Be encouraging. Give them some of the knowledge you've gained on your journey and hopefully that will lead them to getting started on theirs and actually having a better start because of they're getting the, you know, the knowledge of your experience as well. So be the example and most importantly, follow through on your journey regardless. But when they do begin to show an interest, be ready to let them in. So those are my closing thoughts. And that is today's episode, which I really hope that you guys enjoyed. And if you did enjoy the episode and you really want to put a smile on my face, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a five-star rating and leave us a short review. It really does mean the world to me. And I say that with my hand on my heart. And if you're not on Apple and you're listening on Spotify or elsewhere, take a screenshot, tag me in Instagram stories, and we can share this with the world. Let's spread the word of the podcast and give as many people as possible simple and actionable advice that will help them on their journey. It's my mission to reach as many of you as possible. So please help me on fulfilling that mission and let's make the world a healthier and fitter place together. That is everything from me, guys. Have an amazing week ahead. Take care and we'll speak soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.